one of my favourite films, um, I have to say, of all time, is uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, it was actually made the year I was born, so you can work out how old I am from that. Um, but it's the story told in a humorous way of King Arthur, the King of the Britons, and how um, he goes, uh, he meets the, the Knights of the Round Table, and then goes on a quest to find the Holy Grail. And towards the start of the, uh, the film, he comes across a couple of peasants who are sitting there, um, sitting in the mud, and he asks who lives in the castle near where they're sitting. And there then follows a wonderful exchange with the peasants after he orders them to be quiet. Peasant, order, who does he think he is? Arthur, I am your king. Peasant, well, I didn't vote for you. Arthur, you don't vote for kings. Peasant, well, how do you become king then? Arthur, the lady of the lake, her arm clad in the purest shimmering samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the waters, signifying that by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I am your king. Peasant, listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Monty Python pokes fun albeit with a modern focus on this, on this assumption that anyone has the right to call themselves king. In fact, part of the humour is, is that they put a modern twist on it. In other words, the only right that anyone has to rule these days is by the vote of the people, by vote of democracy. And yet, we, we come to the passage today and the issue of authority the right to be called king is actually front and central of this. And a light is shone on the authority of Jesus himself through these various episodes that we see. And as Keith has already said, there are four different episodes that happen in this passage. Now, I really like this photo because this reminds me very much of a wonderful trip that Anna and I had to Rome about seven years ago, uh, just actually just over six years ago. Uh, and you've got the Colosseum there, which you, you'll all know about. But one of the things I found really interesting was if you just turn your head away from the Colosseum, look at the next photo, um, you've got ancient and modern. So you've got this ancient bit of Rome just by the Colosseum. We've got these ancient buildings. And then beyond there, you've got modern Rome. And the interesting thing is these buildings would have been standing there at the time that Jesus walked the earth or just thereafter. So you've got the ancient and modern. And the thing you realise, actually, as you look at these incidents uh, and you compare them with today, is actually there are some real similarities with today. Because the first incident concerns nature, the storm. People knew then that nature is a powerful and sometimes uncontrollable thing. And we think today we've conquered it. And then tsunamis come along. Earthquakes happen in all parts of the world and even civilised parts of the world like New Zealand. Even this week, there's a national emergency declared in Texas, of all places, where they have snowfall that they can't cope with. And then there's global warming. I mean, we fooled ourselves if we think we've conquered the natural world. Then the second encounter, that encounter with the spiritual world, one of the triumphs of the 
the darker side of the spiritual world is to make people in the West believe there's no such thing as a spiritual battle going on. And yet I was only talking last summer to someone who works with drug addicts out in Ibiza. And they were saying, you've only got to spend half an hour with someone who's been with hard drugs and they will tell you there is a spiritual world out there. And then finally, there's this matter of health and death. See, our society doesn't talk about death very much. And that's not a sign of a terribly healthy society. And yet in the last year, probably the issue of death has been talked about more than ever before in recent memory. And healthcare, isn't that a big issue for society today? So the threat, whether it's the threat of the natural world, of the spiritual world, health and death, these themes in today's passage, these are pretty big things that still concern us today. And unsurprisingly, these concerns were also shared by the men and women who walked the ancient world, and even more so than us, because they didn't have the protections that a lot of us have in the modern world. But the truth is, is that modern society, which has taken God out of the equation, are actually scrambling around looking for authority. They're looking for leadership. And for that ancient world as well, particularly for the Jewish nation that Jesus came into then. They'd had an absence of leadership for some time. The Pharisees and the teachers had lost sight in the main as to what the Torah said, the teachings of the Old Testament. They failed to understand the teachings of Abraham. There was a lack of leadership from amongst God's people and people were drifting around. And it was at that point that God sent his son into the world. Jesus Christ came into the world to show the authority of God. And each of these four incidents we'll see today will each and collectively show us something about the character of Jesus. You see, we're going to see how Jesus, as the living, breathing embodiment of the Godhead in, in human form, has complete authority over everything. The things that terrify people the most. We'll see, actually, notwithstanding this, how man still rejects him and is indifferent to him. But then crucially and finally, we'll see that actually there are different there are different responses. There is a response of fear and there is a response of faith. And for those who come with faith, there is a boundless compassion as well. There's much to cover. There's a huge amount of scripture here. My goal is to not go into detailed analysis of each of these different incidents. They're each a sermon in themselves. But put together, there are some real themes that we can draw out. So we go firstly to the lake. Jesus and the disciples had a lovely day. Lovely day. They get in a boat, beautiful calm waters. And as they go out, suddenly things turn bad. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where things turn really bad when you've been out sailing or on a boat. It's only occurred to me once in my life. Um, it was I'd been married to Anna for about a year and we decided to go on that holiday of a lifetime, which um, you generally try and go on before you have children and you have no money then to spend on holidays of lifetimes. Um, and we actually went to the Maldives. It's beautiful. We landed. And as we landed, we realised there was a bit of a storm on the way. And because I, I really had pushed out the boat on this particular holiday. I didn't have any money for us to get an air transport to the island we were staying on. So we went in a boat. And as we set out on the boat, the storm came up. And 
I think you know it's a bad storm when the crew look terrified and the waves were going up and down, up and down, up and down. And I felt absolutely terrified. We both did. Because that's the thing. When you realise you're in that situation, you realise that you are helpless. You're absolutely helpless. The sea is a terrifying thing when you're on a tiny boat and the waves are high. And that's what happened here. The disciples are terrified. It's a natural reaction. And there's Jesus sleeping. And so that in panic, in panic, they say, don't you care about us? And they wake Jesus up. And Jesus stands up and he says in verse 39 of chapter four, quiet, be still. And there is instant effect. The sea is calm. And the disciples turn to each other and say, even the wind and the waves obey him. Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's amazing that they, they, they can't get their heads around that Jesus has such authority. Incidentally, this picture here is a famous painting by Rembrandt of that particular scene. We then move on to the next incident. The, um, and, and this is the incident of Legion. Because uh, Jesus comes onto the other side of the lake and he comes across a man who is being chained up by the people in the society there because he's demon possessed. A, a man who's been shunned by society, a society who can't control him. And even the chains are insufficient to tie him down. And notice, notice in the verse, as you see, the demons recognise Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The man often doesn't recognise Jesus or his power, but the demons do. The evil forces know who Jesus is. And they, they cry out to him, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. And Jesus's response is, verse eight, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And instantly, instantly, legion, the evil spirits come out. They beg to be allowed to stay within the area. Jesus grants their request. They go into a herd of pigs and they go careering off into the lake. Jesus, again, has complete authority over them. We then move on to the next incident, the incident of the woman in the crowd. Now, the woman knows the woman's in a desperate situation and she touches the hem of Jesus's garment and is healed. And when Jesus realizes this has happened, he sees the woman and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And because the lady believed that Jesus could heal, his power and authority healed her. And then finally, the final incident, we see the men who've come from the house of Jairus, who don't want to bother Jesus with the tale of the girl that they now believe to be dead. Jesus's response in verse 36, don't be afraid, just believe. He then goes to the house and sees the girl and says, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stands up and walks around. There's no delay, there's no waiting, it's instant. Jesus, complete and utter authority in this situation. Now, in each of these incidents, every single one of them, Jesus faces the deepest fears of men and women. Things that men have never been able to overcome. Natural adversity from the elements, the sea. You know, it's there in Genesis, that, that, that perception of it being an evil, unstoppable force. And Jesus has held it. He stopped it. Demon possession, the spiritual world, complete authority over it. 
long-term sickness. This lady had been sick for 12 years, was in desperate straits, instantly healed. And death. Jesus shows that he has dominion over that. And the other thing as well, and this is really interesting, is that Jesus takes the initiative with all of these things. It's the hallmark of his ministry and indeed God's purpose for mankind. It's not what man does. Man can do nothing. It's all about the initiative of God. Because only the creator God could have this power. Only the creator revealed perfectly in human form in Jesus. Jesus proving that he was none other than God himself. Because only a man who did this could come with the authority of God. To the world in which Jesus came, they were given a glimpse of the true God. They could trust him because he had shown that he got dominion over their greatest fears. Now, today we inhabit a society that has rejected God, particularly in the West in which most of us live. And what are people left with when they've rejected God? Well, they try and create their own man-made utopias, maybe trust in a particular leader, in a particular cause, maybe a political party, some international accord, perhaps, you know, let's having faith in science until a pandemic comes along and science doesn't have the answers. Coping with death. Our society without God is rudderless. And the challenge to us is actually when these things hit, who do we trust? Where do we really put our faith? Do we put our faith in the author and creator of the universe who had authority over these things, who has authority over life and death, who has authority over each one of us and our deepest fears? Do we put our trust in him? Because the problem, and we'll see this next, for society that sometimes the truth, they actually don't want to hear it. And we see this embodied within the end of the second incident. Now, to help us understand this, I think I want to cast our mind to a couple of vintage Hollywood films. Now, during lockdown, um, I'll be honest with you, uh, we have watched more film and television than probably we would have done in, in previous years. It's just been the nature of it. We've had more time alone together. And one of the things I've got quite nostalgic for is some of the great films of the 1980s. Shows very much again my age, um, and there are two here: the Terminator from 1984 and the ba original Batman film from 1989. Now, both of these follow a similar script. It's a classic Hollywood script where evil forces invade the world, invade the situation, and a good person rises up, has a real battle with the evil forces, and ultimately saves society in in the process. And society generally is quite appreciative of this. And the interesting thing is, have you noticed often the outside force is blamed for the evil of society, ills of society? Because that's the Hollywood way. Society itself is generally OK, but it's the force that comes in that's the problem. But look at the society of the demon possessed man. You see, that man has been cast out of society due to his demon possession. He's an embarrassment to them. They, they leave him chained up on a hillside because they don't want anything to do with him. And if you think our society is immune from such behaviour, it is there. I mean, it's only in the last two weeks, really sad that we've seen things like do not resuscitate, 
orders imposed on people who've been admitted to hospital with COVID and have got certain disabilities. We live in a society where Down syndrome is seen as something that society doesn't want. Our own society is not immune from burying difficult problems in the way that that society was. And so Jesus heals this man. It's amazing. He heals uh, the man. And we see in verse 15 of chapter five that um, the man, it's back to normal. He's sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And what's the reaction of people? Celebration. This man is back with us. No, they were afraid. They were in fear. In fact, they go further than that. They ask Jesus to leave. You are bad for business, Jesus. Please leave. But you see, we don't like to think of society being evil. It doesn't play well with us at all. But actually, the truth is, is, in a fallen world, the collective will of human beings can be an unpleasant experience for God's people. So how do we deal with society turning its face against believers? How can we face up to it? Well, it's actually not to shut ourselves away from it, because the, the response of Jesus here is actually quite instructive. You see, the man who has had the demons cast out of him um, is, is desperate to go with Jesus. In fact, he begs him, please, can I come with you, Jesus? Please, can I come with you? And actually, there is a certain amount of begging that goes on throughout this passage. And this is the only request that Jesus actually turns down. What does Jesus say to him? He says, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So what's, what's Jesus' response? Stay in your society. Tell your society about the grace that has been given to you. About the way in which you've been cast, you've been set free from these demons. Tell them about it. And we see the man goes away. He begins to tell in the Decapolis, the, the, the ten cities, how much Jesus has done for him. And what's the reaction of the people? Fear? No, they are amazed because they fully understand now what Jesus has done. And there's a challenge for us, isn't it? Because it's often easy for us to just not engage with our society, to cut ourselves off from it. Um, it it's, it's often easy when an amazing thing has happened to us, perhaps. I, I remember when I became a Christian when I was a, a teenager, uh, well, just before I was a teenager, I've been so enthusiastic and going telling people about my faith and I remember the time when one of my best friends became a believer and it was just a wonderful thing and I was telling loads of people about it but the reality is the the, the normal thing is, is we don't really talk to people about what the glorious truth of the gospel is and yet that's Jesus' instructions to this man go and tell people go and tell people about the amazing grace that has been given to you he says to this man because that is the way that we deal with a society that has turned its back on God. Finally, we have this matter of faith that is revealed in this passage. I remember there's a textbook that, I, that I, we had in RE when I was at school could have called From Fear to Faith. And there's actually a book um, by Martin Lloyd-Jones, very famous, called From Fear to Faith. 
um, and it really lived out what it what it meant uh, to go on this journey. And that really summarizes how the issue of faith is handled here by Jesus within this passage. Look at the different reactions that we see. I mean, firstly, in, in, in uh, verse 40 of chapter four, we see Jesus saying to the disciples who are with him, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, Jesus's frustration with the disciples has been the fact that they've been following him around. They've been seeing what he's been doing. And yet they've still got a lack of faith in Jesus. You see, I find that both depressing and, and also slightly reassuring at the same time. Because I, I, I see myself, you know, knowing all the great, amazing things that I've seen Jesus do in my own life. And yet I lack faith in his purposes on occasions. But I guess it's a kind of reassurance as well that if the disciples who were walking with Jesus can actually show a lack of faith, it, it does happen. It does happen. In the second incident, again, we see again fear instead of faith. Yeah, verse 15 of chapter 5, the townspeople are afraid of what Jesus has done when they see the demon-possessed man sitting normally. And their reaction is again that which we can expect from society. When facing miraculous, often there is fear, the opposite reaction to what you would expect. But what is glorious about this passage is the real contrast of faith. From the demon-possessed man who wants to follow Jesus to Jairus begging that Jesus would come and lay hands on his 12-year-old daughter in verse 23 of chapter 5. To, and, and to this woman who had been bleeding for as many years, 12 years, as many years as Jairus's daughter was old. And she, all she knew that she had to do was touch the garment and she would be healed. And we see further down in verse 36, Jesus instructing the men who come out of the house of Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And that's enough of what Jesus is teaching the people here. Notice all of those who come to Jesus, who believe in him, they have a common denominator, all of them. They realise that they are in a desperate circumstance. In fact, their faith is impelled by their desperation. And also, also, look at how they approach Jesus. Look at the woman in verse, in, in, in chapter 5 and verse 32, 33. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. Complete vulnerability before Jesus. And the touching thing about this is the sheer compassion that Jesus shows to the woman. You see, he could have been angry with her. He could have said, why were you touching me? You had no permission to do that. But that's not his reaction, is it? Now, what is his reaction? It's daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus shows her compassion and shows crucially that her faith has, is key. Her faith in him, her trust in him. 
the, the other factor other than the desperation of the situation and the vulnerability is the fact that those who demonstrate faith in this passage are prompted to action. They actually do something about their situation. There's none of the passivity of the disciples sitting in the boat being scared. They're prepared to overcome obstacles to meet Jesus. And in all of these cases, their demonstrations of faith open these people up to nothing other than the power of God. The healing power of Jesus. And that is what we learn about Jesus in this passage. You see, in every case, Jesus has taken the initiative. He's the transformer in all of these scenes. He shows compassion to broken people. And the truth is, is that only desperate people who come to the are the ones who come to the realisation that they need him. And the message to the world is that Jesus has won the victory. He's shown his authority over the things that afflict man. And in fact, he goes on to much more glorious things than that. After this, he takes initiative in going to the cross. He has chosen to go to the cross for each one who believes. But you see, for us, in order to have faith, we must shed our pride. We've got to stop assuming that we've got it right. We've actually got to recognise that our pride must be put aside. That we are desperate people in need of a loving, caring saviour who came to bind up the broken hearted. To save desperate people who cannot justify themselves in any way before God, but because of his initiative. But by the fact that he sent his son to the cross, we can be restored into that true relationship. I say if there's one thing and this I'll, I'll be honest with you, uh, I've been quite struck with this in studying this passage in preparation for talking to you. Is that deep faith comes from a place actually of desperation, a place of vulnerability, a place of realising you cannot do it yourself that actually you need to depend entirely on grace. You need to depend totally on God as revealed gloriously through his son, Jesus Christ, and who dwells in this through his Holy Spirit. It's actually only when we've been truly broken in our pride that God can use us and rebuild us and restore us. So there's a challenge for each of us as we set out this week. Are we prepared to set aside our pride and say, Jesus, Please use me for your purposes. Please strengthen me with your Holy Spirit. Please give me the faith of Jairus. Please give me the faith of that woman who is willing to push through the crowd at great personal embarrassment and touch the garment and then face Jesus Christ to give an account for herself. Give me the faith of that woman. So that we might come face to face with our saviour. There was one hymn, that, um, a modern hymn, that um, I think kind of encapsulates, if you like, um, a, a lot of what uh, I, I see in this, this, this passage. The, it's by Martin Lazor called Lost in Wonder. And it talks about how Jesus chose the cross so that we could all have eternal life. Let me just pray and then we'll, we'll, sing, we'll sing this song. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that your son came into the world and you showed his authority over all those things that afflict man, even death. And we thank you for the lessons of faith in, in the passage today 
And as we look at it, we admit that we find that really challenging. We find it hard because we're proud people. And yet we know that if we humble ourselves before you, you can use us powerfully for your purposes. And that's the start of acceptance of knowing that you are the true and living God who saved us through the sacrifice of your son on the cross for each one of us. Thank you for that.